Hey, Sherry here. Welcome to Frequency, Faith, and Fulfillment. We're here to help you understand and hopefully be inspired by natural holistic healing, deep faith, and having the fulfilling life you dream of. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave me a kind comment and find me on social media and reach out at Sherry Underwood. Hi, everyone. I am so excited. I'm here today with my coach, mentor, friend, Ian Reese. And I am so excited to be able to uh, have him here speaking about his journey. We have, I think, grown actually together in our faith. We're able to share that now much more than we were a year ago. I've been working with Ian for a year. I want Ian to introduce himself because he has an incredible background and I'm, I'm really um, just so blessed to be a part of his life and a part of his coaching and a part of his um, development of me. Mm, Sherry, that's a very warm introduction. <laughs> and I, I'm just as blessed to be here in it with you right now, as I'm sure you feel to be a part of it as well. And I really think it's 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 about me. It's about you. It's about we. It's us together, how we're growing and developing as a unit that really makes the process so special and such a pleasure and a thrill and also scary and exciting all at the same time, right? Yes. So my goodness. Well, go ahead. To introduce myself. Well, yes. really, I mean, something that I think you should know about me and that I'm sure you are very aware of, Sherry, is I really believe in living from the inside out in everything and anything that I do. I made a decision, made a committed decision years ago that I was going to arrange myself, configure myself so that I would be the most in line with what God's will would be in my life. And so very, very faith-based. And I believe that fundamentally, one of the biggest issues that people encounter is they just don't understand who and what they are. And if we don't understand ourselves, we're not going to appreciate ourselves. And I think that's what causes most of what we consider as problems, what we experience as problems in our life arise when we're not living in alignment with our true self. And so that begs the question, who is that? And I have come to believe that it's important that each person, especially, you know, if you're listening to this right now, it's really important you figure out that answer for yourself. I can tell you who you are because actually we're all very much the same, although we may look different, sound different, come from different backgrounds, but really at the heart of it all, we're, we're, we're one in the same, we are one. And I think it's really special when you uncover that answer for yourself. But of course there are guides. I'd consider myself a guide. And I lead people, I guide people to an understanding of the truth of who they are so they can accept and appreciate who they are so that together we can walk in the light of awareness and transfigure the world from the inside out one person at a time. Transfigure, meaning to elevate, to make more beautiful, more wonderful in the sight of God. I think that's really what I've been called to do 
It's what I've been sent to do. It's why I'm here. It's why I work with magnificent people like Sherry. And what I do is how I go about that is through a combination of coaching, teaching, and sharing of lived experience. And I fundamentally believe I can't give you something that I don't have myself. So I really do my best to live by the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I looked out at the world. I saw a lot of things that didn't work. I thought, man, I'm going to figure out how to make this thing work and how I can work with it and rearrange myself so that life flows a little more easily. And so what that looks like and how that shows up in the world is, gosh, it depends on the person that I'm working with. For me personally, it's been a complete transformation of my life on every level, physically, transformed my body. I used to be morbidly obese, uh, mentally. You know, I took a personality test years ago and I was extremely high in the trait neuroticism, which is essentially the precursor to all negative emotions, negative psychological experiences. Now I am in the zero percentile, uh, virtually no neuroticism or negativity in my psyche. So mental illness is not a reality for me, essentially. I don't believe in that anymore. Spiritually speaking, I think most profoundly, I have real raw experience of God in my everyday life. And I seek that and I pursue that and I welcome that and I invite that. And so as a result, that's how life occurs for me is that I walk a spiritual walk every day. It's not something that you have to aspire to do. It's not something that you have to, there's no gap to close. Really, it's just to realize you're already there and to live from the place rather than trying to get to a place. And my clients, I mean, my gosh, I could brag all day long. Um, it's been incredible to watch Sherry just unfold and bloom over this year. I mean, just the, the sheer inner growth and transformation this woman has been through and has grown through is tremendous. And like sometimes I get a little emotional just thinking about it because I know that it takes time for the outside to reflect the inside. And that all of uh, all the things we want in life, you know, the things we want to be, do and have, you and I, it's, it's a process and it's gradual. And when we're not fighting life, when we're living um, not necessarily as a leaf in the wind, but when we're going with the flow of life, who we are expresses itself naturally. And what we end up doing just proves who we are. And when you're living from that place, I think you can find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in your everyday life, in your work life, in your personal life, in your relationships, in your health and well-being. That'll reflect eventually in your finances, in your career, all of that. You uh, have been very patient with me because I did have trouble. I had trouble. Um, I have faith. Uh, I have a belief system. I didn't know if I fully understood that I was worthy, um, that um, everything is here for me already that I need. And you really helped me on that journey. And I know I have a lot further to go. I know I do. But uh, I appreciate you saying that you've seen growth in me because I see maybe this much, but you seem to um, notice much more. But um, 
I first want to thank you for all your time and how awesome it's been, but I also want to um, express that us, uh, in the beginning we were not so much opening our sessions with prayer or anything like that, and we eventually um, started doing that, and that was, I feel, so much more helpful because it was really there were three of us in each meeting you know you mm -hmm. i and the lord right so um i want you to talk about your spiritual journey because mm -hmm. i know you had at a very young age you had a very very significant breakthrough yeah yeah i would love to share that love to share that and and um real quick on what you said about you know, you seeing this much and, and me seeing more than that, it's because as human beings, it's very difficult to be objective with ourselves. We're so concerned with our subjective world, our inside. We compare how we feel on the inside, how others look on the outside. And that causes just so much strife and disconnect and self-criticism and all these things. I was with a client last night and we were talking about different levels of consciousness and how we can graduate. We can actually leave what the problems behind at a lower state of consciousness as we transcend and move upward in our awareness and in our ability to, to navigate our world, spiritually speaking. And her cat entered the frame, like in a very, I mean, perfectly aligned moment. Her cat just walks into the screen as we're talking about consciousness, right? And I said, animals like your cat said, uh, what's its name? She said, it's Tuna. <laughs> is, it a, is it a he or she? It's a she. Okay, so Tuna is conscious of her objective world. She has five senses just like we do. She can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. And she's very aware of her objective world. In fact, animals are oftentimes more aware of their objective world because they're not distracted by their subjective world, their inside. And animals are not aware of their inside. I, I don't think tuna struggles with her self-esteem. I think she expects food to be in her bowl. She likes to bask in the sun. She welcomes the attention. She likes to step in on Zoom calls. Tuna's just being tuna. No cause for concern in her life, right? And if I can interject, not comparing herself to any other animal on the planet. No, no. <laughs> like tend to do. Yes, yeah. yeah. A wise man once told me, if we're a fish, it's important to be a fish and not try to fly. Like, let's be who we are because to be anybody else is just, That's it's good. a disaster, right? So yeah, so Tuna enters the frame, we're talking about consciousness and as human beings, we're given the gift, but also the burden and the responsibility of being able to be conscious of our subjective world and then to go a stage further into what might be called Christ consciousness, cosmic consciousness, Krishna consciousness, whatever denomination, whatever religious persuasion somebody might be, we can actually go a step further and feel a greater oneness and wholeness and beingness um, union with the divine. I think in some aspect, that's what everyone spiritually wants and is striving for. And in whatever whatever way your spiritual practice takes place, I think that's ultimately the heart of it is to be one with God, 
to be as close to and communion with God as possible. So we have the gift of being able to do that in our human experience, to actually experience oneness with God. And I've had several moments, emotionally impactful moments in my life, wherein God chose to, to meet me where I was at, even though I was not willing or wanting to meet God where God was at. So I'll lead into that. So I, I've always known about myself that there was something I was put here to do from a very, very young age. I mean, five, six years old. I just, I had this purposeful mind. I had this purposeful existence. I was trying to figure out what am I here to do? And, and I know that that, that is, is a gift in and of itself. And I'll never forget when I was seven years old, it's first or second grade, we're doing that exercise, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And I'm, I'm looking around at everybody in the class, everybody's excited to, to write down, you know, what they want to become, you know, what they're choosing for themselves. And of course, it's the doctors, nurses, firefighters, police officers, um, teachers, you know, all manner of things which are already existing in the world, you know, molds that they're prepared to step into and, and, and build a life around at seven years old, right? If, as if we could do that, right? So I wrote down and I saved it. Well, my mother saved it. I wrote down that I wanted to discover the truth in all things and achieve balance in my life. That's a pretty outlandish idea for a seven-year-old child. I also think that children are not yet burdened by the illusions of the world. And so we're, we're more free to express ourselves creatively and to express ourselves genuinely because we're not so afraid yet of the world that we live in. We're not concerned with whether or not we're going to be accepted and appreciated and cared for and have what we need and, and so on and so forth. And if you've been blessed to have somewhat of a uh, amicable childhood, which I know only goes for about half of us, maybe less, uh, you understand where I'm coming from. So when I was seven years old, I wrote this line, I want to discover the truth in all things, the cheap balance in my life. And I didn't really know what that meant. But when I read that line 15 years later, I started to get a sense of, wow, I was on the right track back then, more so than I am right now. But um, when I was younger, about eight or nine years old, not too long after that, my parents told me in hindsight, you know, in reflection that I started to exhibit signs of depression and nobody could figure out why. I mean, my life was reasonably okay. I, was, I didn't really want for much and, and I was healthy and I was in a reasonably good environment, so on and so forth. So I couldn't, at the time I didn't realize that, but they, they saw that in me. And so they took me to psychiatrists, what's wrong with my son, what's going on. And um, we couldn't figure it out. So maybe I had a biological disposition to having a chemical imbalance and experiencing what we refer to as depression. I think that's really what was going on. And I also think that very subtly, I was picking up on some disharmony between my, my mother and my stepdad, which, you know, turned into a kind of a disaster situation. Family got splintered. 
And everybody has their story and comes from a perfectly dysfunctional family, right? So when I was in my early teens, I had a rather profound experience. I had been in and out of therapy. People were trying to push medications on me because of this depression that I was experiencing. And unknowingly, I, I accepted that idea. I started to define myself by my psychological condition. I started to say, my depression. I am depressed. And I reinforced this idea that maybe was never true to begin with. But nonetheless, I found myself in one of my rock bottom moments of life at 13 years old um, with no real understanding of who God is, where God is, what God is. I was raised Catholic. So, I mean, I was brought up in the Catholic church from a very young age, just kind of, you know, be stiff and look good and do what they say and say what we say when we say it and then we'll eat the wafer and then go home to your toys and everything will be okay. We only do it on Sundays. And it's just, I grew up with this just heavy traditional, I would ask questions. I was a curious kid. I asked a lot of questions and that's funny because I ask way more questions nowadays. I would ask, you know, why do we do this? And who is Jesus? And like, I would ask these questions and nobody could give me a good answer. Nobody. Sometimes even the, uh, the, the priests, pastors would say, well, you know, son, you know, maybe we'll figure it out when you're older. And I'm like, what is this? What am I doing here? I was really disconnected. I did not feel any particular way. I personally never felt the presence of God in a Catholic church. That's me. Now, if you, if you happen to be Catholic or somebody's listening is Catholic, this is, this is not about comparing contrasts. This is just my personal experience. So I'm 13 years old. I'm in this, you know, this pit of my life, just absolutely suffering psychologically. Um, and I was praying to God, begging God to, to take me away. Just take me out of this life. I don't want to live anymore. Life was not kind to me. Um, from the ages of like nine to 22 or something like that. But when I'm 13, I'm, I'm begging God, please just kill me. Just take me out of this life because I don't want to live it anymore. I was suffering, but I, I knew well enough that I wasn't going to harm myself because I figured that would be a waste. Um, it would be disrespectful. And I think it was more so out of fear that, that had been ingrained into me since, since very young. You know, you don't ever do that. You don't ever do that, right? Just that was so conditioned into me. And somewhere between sleep and wake, I had a vision. I had a very profound spiritual experience, you know, the kind of thing people write about, talk about all their lives. I, uh, I found myself in this white nothingness, just this vast, empty space, simultaneously full and empty at the same time, completely white, just white nothing, white something. And I blinked, and when I opened my eyes, Jesus was standing before me. And you have to understand, I thought I was dead. I thought I died, and I was meeting Christ in the afterlife. So I, in, in sheer shock and disbelief and excitement and reverence and love, I just rushed and embraced him. And I thought, I, surely I must be dead. And I looked at him, and I said, Lord, am I dead? 
did I die? Did you take me? And he, and he just looked at me kind of like, oh, son, you know, how far away you've, you've, you've gotten. And he never spoke with his words, but I could hear his thoughts. He communicated telepathically with me and he said, I want to show you something. And he put his hand on my shoulder and like that, I found myself in what we would consider hell. And it was the most deeply disturbing, graphic, horrific, terrifying experience of my life. Uh, I'm looking around and I see much how it's described, you know, a, a fair bit of fire and brimstone, but more than anything, it was this pit. There was no sky, it was total blackness. Everything was cold, hard, well, hot, hard stone, dry. I couldn't breathe. It felt like my throat was closing up. It felt like my whole body was on fire. It was so hot. And I was sweating profusely. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing, I'm seeing these creatures, these demons, these entities torturing people uh, endlessly, ceaselessly, tearing people apart, ripping off their limbs. I mean, really graphic stuff, um, disgusting things. And I'm, I'm panning this just in sheer awe, just shock and awe of the terror. My whole body is just quivering. I can't even believe what I'm seeing. And I see, and I'm, as I'm panning the scene, I, I see the lake of fire. And, and people being thrown into it by their arms, by their legs, just being thrown in and burned. And then I see the throne behind the lake of fire and there is sitting Satan. And it was like the moment I laid eyes on him, he laid eyes on me. And it was as if I was grabbed by the scruff and I pulled right up to his eyes. Our eyes met and I just watched this crooked smile go across his face. Never been scared since. I have not encountered anything that has even come close to causing the fear that I felt that day. So, mind you, it felt like I was there for a long time, but it was probably a few seconds. And I, I begged, I begged the Lord, I begged Jesus, please take me away, please take me out of here. And in an instant, I was, you know, on all fours beside him again, gasping for air. And I look up and, and, and he puts his hand on me again just like that, I'm in heaven, which looked much like our world that we often take for granted, just a little bit more luminous and bright and profoundly loving and peaceful and just the most incredible sense of gratitude and almost like you were receiving a hug and it never stopped from the person you love most in the whole world. And you know, tears are streaming down my face. I'm in total bliss. And I just, I ask God, please, can I stay here? And he says, no. And so in an instant, I found myself back in the white nothingness, Jesus standing before me and the whole scene started to fade out. And, and he was sort of receding back from whence he came. And I started coming to started feeling my own body again, although I couldn't move any of my, my limbs. And my whole body was vibrating. And as I awoke and was able to open my eyes, the, the, these two words rang throughout my whole being, like almost as if you woke somebody up with a bell, with a gong, just boom, just like that. And he left me with these words, you choose. 
And what I didn't realize is that it was, it was about much more in that moment than where I was going to end up. Because as I've learned rather recently, eternity is now. Your spiritual relationship, your spiritual body, your spirit, it's always been here. It's just taken different shapes and forms. It's been in different places and, and whatnot. But it's less about, for me anyway, it's less about where I'm going, where I'm going to end up. It's what am I doing now? What am I choosing now? How am I choosing to present myself to the world? Who am I choosing to do it for? Why? These are the questions I like. I used to look for the answers. I got all the answers I needed. Now I'm more interested in living into bigger questions and helping other people to do the same. Because in this life, we have a choice. I used to believe I didn't have a choice. Jesus reminded me I did. And now I consciously choose the way that I live my life. I think it's really imperative that you do the same. I think it's important that we do the same, that we consciously choose just what are we doing here? <sighs> I remember when I first leased this car that I got, everybody was giving me crap about, oh, you should have bought it. Oh, you should have got something cheaper. I, it was, I'd never had anything new in my life. It's the first new, brand new thing I've ever had. And I wanted it. And I had a realization a few weeks ago, it's all on lease. Ladies, gentlemen, your whole life is on lease. You don't own anything. It was all given to you. It was all given to me. Everything in my life is James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from your Father in heaven. Everything, all of it. My ability to speak these words to you now is a gift that was given to me. I could not earn it. Don't be so selfish as to think you need to be worthy of something. It's a gift. And we don't have a contract to live forever, but our soul does go on for eternity. And eternity is now. It's not then. It's not sometime in the future. It's not sometime in the past. It's now. We're here and it's now. So what do you choose to do with the time you have? That's what really matters to me. I love that. Thank you. So thank you, first of all, for sharing that story, because it's a really, I know it's hard to relive. It's hard to listen to, because I feel bad for the 13 year old that went through that. But like you said, you've never had fear again. So well, I know I've had plenty of fearful experiences, but I've never been fearful since then, right. meaning was less afraid of life more stepping into the fear of the challenges and the obstacles that come with justifying my existence as a human being i don't, I don't that's unavoidable i think what, what what distinguishes great people from good people is good people like anyone like everyone become fearful at times and resign themselves to being afraid great people look fear in the face and take a step forward. That's it. Yeah. Which is very difficult to do, but um, 
doable. And once you do it, it'll happen again. <laughs> you just have to keep doing it, right? Um, when you were talking about, I'm gonna go back just a little bit, transcending um, and all of us trying to connect with the divine, with, for us, it's God, you know, and have that spiritual connection. Um, talk a little bit about raising that vibration and how you work through that to get to that level. Mm. Cause you've helped me a lot in that. Yeah. So you'd like me to explain a little bit about maybe the stages of consciousness. How do we raise our vibration? Yes. What do we do actually? Right. Yes. I think it would be helpful for a lot of people who struggle with being of this world. Ooh, what do you mean by that? Because <laughs> that's good. I I think there's a lot of people who um, are just of this world and don't understand that they can reach that mm. divine connection. Mm. And you can be in this world and have a divine connection and not live of this world. Mm. I really like what you're saying there about being of the world. I think in, in uh, I think it's the King James version in scripture. It says begotten of the world, begotten of the father, begotten of the son, begotten meaning from or coming from coming out of. So when we are of the world, we're concerned with worldly things. Now make no mistake. We're all in the world. It's just, there's, there's two different worlds going on, whether we realize it or not, whether we perceive them or not. I was, I was fortunate very early in life to be gifted with spiritual perception. So I see what most people do not see. And sometimes that's, you know, fantastical things like entities and things. I've had my share of negative entities um, that I've battled with in my life, literally like outside of me and inside of me. And, um, I've also seen and observed and watched in amazement synchronicities unfold, a divine intervention providence just occur in my life right before my eyes, just as readily available as the, as the evil in the world. But to be of the world is to be concerned solely with worldly things. And I think what what happens when someone's living in that level of, of consciousness and that state of consciousness where you're concerned primarily with the world, the physical, you know, tangible sensory world, you're limited. You limit yourself, whether consciously or not, because underneath and behind and just to the left and right of all of that, and as above and so below and as below so above is there's a spiritual world, there's an entirely intangible, unseen aspect to reality that we live in. And it is always operating. I do not care whether you're convinced of God or not. 
God is convinced of you. And that's nothing to say about the disposition or judgment or whatever. It's none of that. It's simply this whole universe is run by laws. Everyone's familiar with cause and effect. The law of cause and effect, the law of laws, the cause and effect. Science and theology are not opposed. They're two sides of the same coin. One studies the effects, the other studies and seeks to understand the cause. I've spent however many years of my life seeking to understand the cause, because I figured if I could understand the cause, I might have some effect on the world rather than just studying the evidence of what's left behind by the cause. That was my philosophy. That's what I live by. Now, when you are of the world, you're limited to what you can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, the facts. Except the facts are always and only residual of decisions past, of a person you used to be. Biologically, you're a new person every seven years. You're, every cell in your body is replaced every seven years, by the way. So I'm 28. I've been replaced four times since I was born. And when you understand that there's something beyond what you can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, you st your mind will begin to open up to possibilities rather than be confined by limitations. And so when we're talking about, Sherry, when we're talking about graduating in our consciousness and moving up to a higher level, that might sound really wishy-washy. I mean, six years ago, I would have turned up my nose to anybody speaking the way that I'm speaking right now. But I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't understand what I didn't know. So, we can't transcend anything that we don't first accept. So if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, if you feel limited in your life, understand there's something that you are resisting, that you're pushing out, pushing away, willfully blind to. There's some area of your life right now that is, is stuck as quicksand. I know it because I still experience it. As, as much as you know, life is opening up for me and, and business and there's more opportunity than I can handle, something I used to be masterful over, which is my physical body, is now a challenge again. You know, <laughs> we're, always, we're always playing this balance act where we'll, we'll succeed in one area and we compromise another. And as I'm having this experience right now, I'm suggesting to you that we don't have to live that way. We can live an uncompromised life. We can actually experience flow, freedom, the reward of faith, and, and the usage of frequency in all areas of our lives. Consciously, we can choose that. But we cannot transcend what we don't first accept. We need to accept that we're limited. We need to accept that we've not been the best we could be. We, we must accept first that we're, we're a far cry from what we could be, who we could be, how we could prove ourselves and demonstrate ourselves to the world, how we could express ourselves to the world. We have to first accept that maybe we've not done a great job with that. And that's okay. And not to, not to be hard on ourselves, not to beat ourselves up, to be, but to be tough with ourselves. Like, hey, 
Maybe you're lacking some discipline in your life. Maybe no one in your life has ever been disciplined and so that's what you were born into. Maybe you're struggling with poverty, finances. Maybe neither of your parents taught you about the importance of valuing and respecting money. That's okay. I don't care if you're 60, six years old, 16 or 26, it, it, it applies to all of us. We all need to understand that to move beyond, we must first embrace and accept and really take a good look at ourselves. Uh, right now I'm documenting my physical journey because there's a number of people in my life right now who I know they need like a guidebook. They need a plan to follow that works to manage their physical health and wellness. And I'm reliving my experience of being truly vulnerable with myself at 22, being morbidly obese, 40 plus percent body fat, as round as I was tall, looking at myself in the mirror for the first time in probably two years and really drinking it all in, just really profoundly taking in where I was, where I allowed myself to be physically. I disgusted myself. You need to understand, I was repulsed by myself. You have to understand, you have to imagine it psychologically what I was experiencing as I'm getting really vulnerable and really, really sizing myself up and giving myself a good look. I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. I also made a decision that I didn't have to accept and resign myself to that either. With that vulnerability came transparency. I got really honest with myself. Okay, I've got some really poor habits. I don't like myself. Something's going on in the inside of me that's showing on the outside of me. I, I've got to change this. And it's up to me. It's my responsibility. This is not my fault, but this is my body and nobody's going to get my body healthy for me. It's up to me just like it's up to you. And whatever area of your life that you're struggling right now, maybe you're really pouring in the effort. Maybe you're, you're trying all kinds of different things. And no matter how much you try, can't seem to bust through. There's something that you're not accepting about yourself and it's okay to do that. And you have my permission to do that. So when we accept the good, the bad, the indifferent, the beautiful and the ugly, when we embrace all of ourselves, we see a more objective picture of who we are and what we represent. Then we can make a clear decision about, okay, so now that I have a better sense of who I, are, who I am, who do I want to be? Where would I like to go? How would I like things to be? And then we can set a course and start going there. And what happens is we just leveled up. Yes. We went from animalistic consciousness, just acting out patterns, reacting to the world around us, bouncing off of everything like a pinball to we're teaching ourselves to respond. That no matter how ugly, no matter how fearful, no matter how disgusting, no matter how horrific life can, can be for you right now, that you don't have to accept that anymore. You have to acknowledge it for what it is and then let it go. Release it so that you can move on from it and climb to the next level right from there yes i love that thank you ian that's awesome so um wow my mind is spinning i don't know where to go from there you're anyway. the eloquent you're the eloquent one what else do you what else do you want to encourage someone listening or watching with 
for me, you've always, you're such a blessing and you've always encouraged me even when I repeatedly made the same mistakes <laughs> um, or was unaccepting or, you know, one major change at one point was you said, Sherry, do you 100% believe and, you know, completed the sentence. And I was like, no. And you just cracked up because belief is, well, for me, was the biggest major step. Mm, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you laughed pretty hard, but it, we had been working on that. We had been working on my belief, belief in myself, belief in my business, belief in my capabilities, you mm. know, and um, yeah. So do you have words of encouragement in that area? Mm. You know, I was actually, I was talking about this with one of my clients at breakfast today. We were discussing how it's easy to look at others, see something objectively, see things in other people that we don't like or things we do like, or I'll take more of that. I don't want any of that. It's really easy. And, and, I'm, and I know you can relate to this, how we can look at the people in our world that is not us, but are outside of us. And, and we can go, wow, how silly. And, you know, so-and-so, and she was doing this and he said that, and it's easier to see what's going on on the outside. It's more difficult to confront what's going on on the inside. Self-awareness, I think is really key to any kind of change, but more importantly, growth and transformation and a rich, meaningful life. I think you've got to be awake and aware. You need to live eyes wide open within yourself and without you of yourself. Now, I think one of the biggest breakthroughs for me was humility. Humility is what softened my heart and allowed me to be broken bread and the poured out wine for God. You know, somebody asked me recently, and I know who I am now, so I can say this. Somebody asked me recently, well, as a follow-up question, so who are you? You know, who do you think you are, right? And I said, I'm a human expression of the divine will of God. And I've been sent here to call people to their purpose in life. And... She was dumbfounded. She didn't know what to yeah, say. That's beautiful. What do you say to that? I mean, part of me was like, wait a minute, who I who am I to say that? And the other part of me is like, no, you know who you are. Say that. You know, step into that fear. Tell people who you really are. And who cares what they think or if they like it or if they don't? It's not about, it's not about that. But humility brought me to a place of humbling myself enough to listen to people who are wiser than myself, who are beyond very much my senior in life. I never sought help. And when I say help, I mean, there's no, there's nothing negative about seeking help. It's one of the best things you can do. I needed guidance. I did not have a father figure in my life. I didn't have a positive male role model in my life to, to emulate, to model myself after. And so 
I went out, once I humbled myself enough and, and got rid of the chip on my shoulder, I humbled myself enough to go listen to these people. Whether it was reading a book or watching a webinar or attending a seminar or, you know, paid mentorship eventually. Um, I had to first humble myself. I'll never forget what my grandfather said to me one day. We were at my, my aunt and uncle's house, which was like a retreat for me because, you know, they were the perfect, you know, nuclear family. They were the, you know, the, the picture of the American dream. I mean, my uh, uncle, successful accountant for, you know, a big company, I'm not gonna name any names, but I mean, did very well, beautiful, like almost mansion-like of a home, big, beautiful family, beautiful wife, my aunt, beautiful children, just, just amazing picture of, I thought, wow, man, if only my life could look like this one day. Of course, I found out later there was more to the story than that, and there always is. And anyway, I was about 14 or 15 at the time, and we just finished a nice family meal. And my, my grandpa was talking to me, and he said he could tell I was upset because I was looking at their life, and I was comparing it to my experience, and I thought, wow, this is oil and water. And he's like, what's wrong? I could tell something's bothering me. What's wrong? And I just, you know, I got upset, got angry, I got emotional. Started telling them about, you know, what life is like on my end of town and, and the situation I'm in. And I'll never forget, as I'm angrily, you know, frustrated, I'm, I'm intimating my experience to my family, to my, my grandfather, talking about, oh, how bad I have it and how awful things are and really just putting on a show, expressing myself, almost venting to the point of venting. And my grandpa stops me and he says, you know what, Ian, you're right. That's not your fault. You didn't choose what you were born into. You didn't choose who you were born to. You didn't make their decisions. But he said, you know what? You're a young man now. And this is your responsibility. Your life, what you're doing right now, who you are, where you're going, that's up to you. That's your responsibility. I have never wanted to hit any member of my family. But in this moment, I wanted to blast my <laughs> grandpa right in the jaw because he was exactly right. And I knew it. And so I was offended by what he said. Yeah. I've learned that if we're offended by anything in life, there must be some truth in there. It might not all be true. Somebody might be weaponizing facts against us to cause us harm. But if we get offended, if we're if there's something in us that wants to react, pay attention to that. That's actually a gift. So, oh, wow, I'm correcting myself in real time. So I did have a positive male role model. My grandfather taught me about responsibility right there in that moment right? Yeah. 14, 15 years old, says, son, time to be a man. You've got to pick up the pieces. It's up to you. Which is hard to hear at 14. A 14-year-old boy wants to be a boy, not have to step up and be a man. Yeah. Yeah. It was a gift. You know, yeah. it, all of life is happening for us. Our suffering becomes our strength. You know, whatever weight you're bearing in your life right now, whatever awful experiences life has handed you realize that it's actually preparing you to be someone else's gift 
love that. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'm like, oh, into your uh, thank you, thank you for sharing your life first of all with us because absolutely. Um, um, I'd like to touch on because of those things, everything you went through, how you and how other how you help share with others to live a life of fulfillment to find even when you are going through the struggle to find the inner peace to find the joy in those in the other things i know um you have to decide to change you have to decide you know you have to take responsibility all those things but mm -hmm. How do you help people um, realize that they can live a fulfilled life, even in the struggle? Beautiful question. And how could we talk about faith and frequency and living uh, a magnificent life without talking about fulfillment? Before I answer your question, I'm curious, what led you, Sherry, to valuing fulfillment in, in what you do and how you choose to live your life and to lead others? Well, I will say the journey of the last year with you, um, we worked on a lot of things. Digging into, everyone has a why, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So why they do what they do. A lot of people don't really dig into that, um, but we did several times. And on that journey, the realization that I get fulfillment by helping others, by helping others succeed. One of the things we went through if you'll remember is saying that you know one of the things i truly get joy out of is being a mom and i'm still even though i have adult children and still trying to be the mom but i love that i get i get very i get a lot of fulfillment out of that mm. and but we dug deeper and finding that what truly truly fills me up is helping others succeed, helping others feel better about themselves, helping others, whatever it is in business, at home. I, that's, that fills my cup. That's where I find my joy. That's where I find mm. my peace. Mm. <laughs> I think I love that. And I, I, I think it's really something special that you can be yourself. I think that the world owes it to itself that all of its people be who they are. Not for me to try to be you, for you to try to be me, for us to compare ourselves to to somebody who's who's only different in appearance. And they're they're like it's only I don't believe in better than, worse than. I believe that we all have a different 
way of going about our lives and the way that we arrange ourselves and corresponds to the way our life tends to arrange itself. So when we rearrange ourselves to be more true to who that is, to who you are, when you arrange your life to be more true to you, life just flows like water. And when we're talking about fulfillment, when we experience fulfillment, you know, one of my teachers, one of my mentors, there are many, but one of them was Dr. John D. Martini. I've studied under him for a little bit. And he talks about fulfillment being the filling, fulfillment, filling. We're filling something. What are we filling? We're filling that which is perceived as empty. Fulfillment is the filling of that which is perceived as empty. For the hungry homeless person, fulfillment might be comfort of a place to sleep, a meal. Their belly is empty. They're empty of security in their life. Uh, an experience of security, comfort would be fulfilling. For a person who's disenchanted in their relationship, finding fulfillment in themselves rather than looking for it in someone else. It's gonna bring balance and harmony to that relationship and to themselves and to their life. A person who is conflicted in their work environment might find more fulfillment doing something more meaningful in service to others rather than in service to profit or in service to some vision they bought into without realizing it. Fulfillment is always found in service to someone else. I have found that it does, I've asked hundreds, maybe thousands of people by now, you know, what is it that really makes life meaningful for you? And all of them, without exception, every single one, every single person I ask answers this question in much the same way. It just takes different forms. It's always about helping, serving, supporting others. Always. I, I don't care how domineering, how arrogant, how insecure, and how middle of the road lukewarm somebody is. Everyone finds meaning and fulfillment in the service of others. I think the way that you do that is unique to you. That's, I would look to your passions. I would look to what are you spontaneously interested in? What moves you? What inspires you? What motivates you? Know thyself. It's really good advice, right? You can spend the rest of yourself, rest of yourself, <laughs> the rest of your life as well, getting to know you. And by the time you leave here, you still wouldn't get it all. But in the pursuit of understanding yourself, you understand everybody else. Because I know who I am. I can tell you probably more about you than your spouse. And, and that shouldn't be creepy. It's just not meant to be that way, but it's just that I understand me and you and I are just as much alike as, as anyone else. We just look different. But the way that you are, how you live who you are, is really what starts to separate us and gives us our uniqueness and our sense of our niche in the world. You know, I, I would say the people I serve most are those who are lost. Restore their sense of identity and set them on a path to living that out. Now, fulfillment, I think is really, it's a deep sense of satisfaction. It's like spiritual currency. Yes. 
I mean, you are blessed if you can do something meaningful in service to somebody else and it fills you up. You're truly blessed. And you're rich beyond measure if you can turn your passion for serving others um, and also earn a profit in doing that, which is very possible. I've talked to many people who are convinced you can't do that. I've done that. Hi. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. You can do that. Sherry is doing that. Everybody's, everybody has the possibility, the potential to do that. Just sometimes we don't allow ourselves to, to be able to do that. I agree. Or you don't see that what you're doing is being of service. Some people get tripped mm. up on that. They don't yeah. see that what they're doing. And I will give you an example. Um, right now is my husband who struggles with work and and has angst and and then he's working from home and I hear him being yes he's a manager but he's also being a counselor and he's being a friend and he's being an incredible listener and you know <laughs> so he's not seeing where he is serving. So I think some people have trouble, mm. you know, actually seeing that in themselves. Wow. That's a great insight. That's a great, great insight. And it's it's perspective, right? Because you can you can look at your husband and say, wow, you're not just being a manager, you're being a leader. You're a friend to those who need it. You're a counselor to someone who craves it. I mean, you, you're you're being you're you're playing many roles, to so that the you know your organization, your team, the people that you're leading can better serve the world, themselves, the people they love, and vice versa, all the way up and down. It's a tremendous role. Yes. Why do you think it is that he can't see that? Because of the other side, he's focused on all of the day-to-day -day struggle stuff he's those little um you know nuances throughout the day he's not work he's worried about the 800 emails he hasn't gotten to you know so it's that again like you just said the outside perspective he does he puts out his little fire and helps someone and then ugh, bogged down by all this work mm. you know but he he's excellent at what he does and that's why they go to him for all the other stuff so yeah which maybe he needs to be reminded of more often so yeah yeah so i do i think some people just don't realize their the value they can bring and i struggled with that you know so you you are um in a category of, of your own. There's only a few people like you that know from when they're seven years old, what they're, um, not that you knew fully, but you know, you had it in you then. So there was always greatness in you. And for me, it took till I was 50 to realize I was, you know, sent here to serve in my way so you know I, like as i said earlier 
that our suffering becomes our strength. So when I was cut off, when I was living mostly by myself, when I looked to my own devices at a young age, there was a great deal of self-reliance, almost obstinance. Like I, I would, I got to a point where I wouldn't even listen to the powers that be, my teachers, the truancy officer, hi, Mr. Modrak. Um, you know, just, I mean, I, I was, I was uh, a rebel in my own right, which allowed me to blaze my own trail. That's what allowed me to go off the beaten path where otherwise I would have succumbed to just the generally expected path for me. And that came with its trials and tribulations and uncertainties and fears and questionings and identity crisis and, oh, I'm, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be. No, that's not quite right. I'm over here. No, that's not quite right. But I was meandering my way on the way. And I started to realize that the obstacles in life are, are the way. Yeah. The, the challenges are the gift. The suffering is the strength. Things aren't in your way. They're on your way. To, to being more of who you actually are, to expressing who that is in the world. And we often get encumbered by time because we don't know how long we have. And I think for every person talking about time freedom, there's 10 people who need to understand that you can be free from time, mentally, psychologically at least. You know, physically, I mean, the body is going to return to dust, dust, dust until dust, right? But your life experience doesn't have to be running from something to running to something else. It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, I've got so many things to do. I don't know what to do, so I'll do nothing. Or I've got so many things to do, so I'm going to run around like a chicken with my head cut off and try to do it all. Guess what? You can't do it all. Certainly not alone. Right. But if we become present, if we can ground ourselves in this moment right now, pay only attention to what we can pay attention to, what's going on right now. You know, it's so interesting, before we hopped on here, you were very diligently in mental preparation to, to be your best for this, for this episode of your podcast. I had the fortune of not having the luxury of that time. <laughs> I say that because if I sat here and was too focused on trying to, trying, not succeeding, but trying to be my best for this, I'd probably find more ways to screw up. Right, which is why I said to you when we started, we're kind of going to wing it and it's yeah. beautiful. So, yeah. yes, <laughs> because even though I said I was mentally preparing, I was really just kind of, I don't know, praying, just, you know, mm -hmm. hey, you know, bless this meeting. That's all you can, you know. That's it. That's yeah. it. And, you know, yeah. when I, 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 uh, I only had a minute or two to be nervous. I only right. had a minute or two to, to be self-conscious. You know, I think one of the biggest breakthroughs for me in my life, one of them, there've been many, but one of the most profound ones 
I had a therapist once tell me that I was being incredibly selfish. And I thought, are you kidding me? You know, my pride was so wounded. You know, my, my head was so big. My hubris knew no bounds at that point in my life because my entire world revolved around me and my depression, me and my suffering, me, myself, and I. I was in my own world and it sucked. And all I did was complain about it and see evidence of it everywhere and allow it to take control of my life. And one day, it was an emotional impact that really shifted my perspective, which is really important because your perspective, how you see the world determines how the world appears to you and thus the stream of consciousness you have, the thoughts you emotionalize, internalize, and how you behave out in the world. People are, tr are forever looking at what they have in their life and reaching, eventually, reaching a state of dissatisfaction or contempt with that. And then the very thing they don't want influences their stream of consciousness. They emotionalize and internalize those same ideas that cause the results in the first place, which unconsciously causes us to behave in roughly the same way. Maybe it occurs differently for you. Maybe you think you're doing something else, but it's really more of the same and you produce more of the same. And we go, oh my gosh, I am killing myself trying to move that number on the scale. I'm killing myself trying to earn more money. I am doing everything I can to be better and nothing's working. But when we realize it's not about us, it's not about I, it's about we, it's about us, it's about togetherness. It is about the greater good. When you turn yourself out to the world and are true to who you are, it doesn't matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter if you conform to what people consent to as being how your life should be. When you're being yourself, people respect that and appreciate that because deep down, they're just as fearful as you. They're just as uncertain about revealing who they are to you for fear that you might judge them, that you might not accept them. So when this therapist told me, you know, you are incredibly selfish, it was like, bam. I mean, it shocked, it was a pattern interrupt that shocked my system. I thought, how can you say that to me? Aren't you supposed to be helping me? And she was. Yeah. She helped me see that as long as my attention was laser focused on myself, I'd never be able to focus on anything else. And remember, I said fulfillment is found in service to somebody else. I was only serving myself, so I was selfish. I was self-centered. It's even worse than being selfish. Self-centered. The world revolved around me. So if you weren't serving me or pleasing me, ah, the heck with you. Meanwhile, all the joy, all the fulfillment, all the love, all the blessings I could ever want were just the opposite. Turn away from me, turn towards God, step forward and Godward, give of myself, and everything's gonna be fine. And that's how I live every day. I know, and it shows, and I so appreciate it. You, um, you're incredible at what you do. 
you're a blessing to so many and I just I really appreciate that I really do and it's been Ian and I have met pretty much every single Friday for the last year <laughs> missed a few in there but not many and I just can't thank you enough for um, helping me become the person that I am today um, looking back it's amazing it seems like a long journey but wow like it's one year and you're yeah. right but it's um so thank you for going through that for how taking those tough comments from your grandfather and from your therapist and from you know whoever else and 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 making those changes so that you can help all of us i really mm. that. well you know i've been helped quite a bit you know i've had i used to think i was alone i used to think that uh, it was, you know, everything was up to me. The whole weight of the world was on my shoulders at one point. And then after that crushed me, you know, life has a way of bringing you to your knees. So you remember to pray. Yeah. Life has a way of crushing you so that you'll stop relying solely on yourself and that we trust in something greater, something more to support us. I mean, we're not conscious of who beats our heart, who tells our lungs to breathe. Right, right. It's, it's all one. It's it, There's only one. And the more we trust and lean into that, the more we abandon of ourselves, the more we surrender to life and accept things as they are while we appreciate what they could be, rather than, you know, hold in judgment and condemnation of what it's not, we can really have an incredible experience in this life. And, you know, for you to thank me, I feel like, my gosh, I need to thank you for allowing me to support you in your journey. And I wholeheartedly look forward to our next conversation and to watching you prove to yourself, mostly, but to all of us who already know it, the greatness that lies in you waiting to come forth and is now blossoming. And it's, it's, it's really, it's just, it's what somebody said at breakfast this morning and what a good friend of mine said last night, this is what it's all about. Yeah. So thank you, Sherry, for, for having me, for inviting me in, for walking this path, this journey with me together, it's its really something special. Yeah, it's been awesome. So we, if you have enjoyed uh, listening to Ian, I'm going to have all of his, um, whatever, his contact information in the comments. Um, we hope to, I'm hoping we can do this again, Ian, because I think we have a lot more to talk about. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. We're just touching the surface. So again, I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I hope you will reach out uh, to Ian if you want to know more about what he does. And and he has just been he's been such a an incredible guide over the last year. And I would not be where I am today in my life, in my business, in my relationships without his guidance. So mm -hmm. thank you so much.
Thank you. And I could say just the same about <laughs> you, Sherry. It's a, it's a gift and you're a gift in my life. So thank you as well. All right. Thanks. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe, leave a kind comment, and reach out on social media at Sherry Underwood. I'd love to hear from you.